why do we worship how we do? <coughs> Some parts of our worship may strike you as normal, expected, traditional, or not. Other things may seem unusual, even uncomfortable. So I hope this review of worship principles, 12 basic principles of biblical public worship will be helpful to you. I hope that your worship will become more understood by you, why you're doing what you're doing unto God, therefore more intentional, therefore more profitable, more in spirit and in truth. Now let me quickly explain my title and then we'll get into it. I will present 12 basic principles of biblical public worship. There's nothing special about these 12. I could have certainly organized them in other ways. But I've wanted to make points about each of these. And these are all basic. We're not going to spend more than a few moments. If you do the math, right, how long should the sermon be? And he's got 12 points. Wow, he's going to have to talk fast. That's right. Fasten your seatbelts. We are going to fly. All right. Some places we're going to spend about a minute as we wave going by and other places we might spend a few, but, but we'll be moving, all right? These are principles from Scripture. They grow out of the Bible, which is the only authoritative source that can tell us how to worship God. Only God can tell us how God wants to be worshipped. This study is also about public worship. So again, you get my title, 12 Basic Principles of Biblical Public Worship. These principles don't necessarily apply, or they may apply but not the same way, to private worship or family worship. But I'm not talking about those today, okay? You're free to ask questions. You're free to think about that. Please do. But this is about public, gathered, corporate worship, all right? So I'm speaking about what we're doing right now. I'm speaking about congregational public worship on the Lord's Day. So be clear about that in your own mind. Now finally, one more thing. We worship here in what is called the Reformed tradition. Wait a minute, Pastor. I thought you just said we're trying to be biblical. Yes, we are. Ultimately, we want to be biblical, right? So then why do we say... We worship in the Reformed tradition. Well, that simply means that we think, imperfectly yes, but genuinely yes, <laughs> we think that the Reformed understanding of the Word of God, of the Bible, is the most accurate system of understanding the Bible. Now, undoubtedly, it's not perfect, right? <laughs> we don't need to debate that. Of course it's not. But we do believe that it is thoroughly foundationally, fundamentally biblical, right? It's got a right view of God. It knows who Jesus is. It knows who men are. It knows how people ought to get saved because it listens to the Bible on those subjects. And also on those subjects, it listens to the word of God about worship. Those things have ramifications for worship. So we don't use the word reformed because we're trying to follow men or be partisan or exalt ourselves as better than other Christians. 
We're simply trying to be open and honest about how we understand the Bible. Many religious groups say they believe the Bible. Some of those are real Christian groups, and some of those are heretical groups. They're, they're not true believers in God. Right? Some of them deny that there is one God. Some deny the Trinity. Some deny that Jesus Christ is God. And yet they say, oh, but I believe the Bible. I'm biblical. In fact, we're more biblical than you. Let me show you the verses. Well, if they're biblical and we're biblical, how do we tell the difference? How do we say what we are without either misleading or, or making some other error? Well, what, what Christians have done throughout Christendom is use names like Christian like Baptist, like Reformed. Those names are not perfect, but they're necessary and useful if we're going to be open and honest. Right? A few years ago, I sat next to a man, uh, a, very, a very nice man and his wife, who uh, clearly wanted to portray themselves as Christians. And we had a wonderful lunch, and I couldn't, I, I tried six different ways to find out what he actually believed about the Bible. He kept saying he believed the Bible. Well, I'm very glad he believed the Bible. But I know that that doesn't mean anything. Right? It doesn't really mean anything. I couldn't get him to name, either to talk about any other doctrines, or to use another word that described what he believed. And so I, I left scratching my head, and later went and looked up, where he graduated from school and found out about the church he leads and all of that. and Yeah, he doesn't believe in the Trinity. He's not a Christian. He's not a Christian. He's not a true believer in the true God. Right? But he believes the Bible. Well, no, he doesn't. <laughs> but we can't keep talking like that at each other forever. That's why we use these words, right? So we have to distinguish with other words. So the 12 basic principles of biblical public worship, which is my title, I could also call this 12 basic principles of reformed public worship. Or I could call it 12 basic principles of historic particular Baptist worship. Right? I could come up with other names, all of which would be legit. But just so we're, so we're being open, so we're being honest, that's what we mean when we say biblical here at this place. Because we have a confession. We have a certain understanding of the word of God. I also am saying this in part because we hope to have church signs up soon. And the tagline, there's going to be a tagline on it that's going to be included. And it's going to say, worshiping in the reformed tradition. So, we're not saying that to snub our nose at other people. We're not trying to exalt reformed anything over the Bible. We're trying to be honest with people and say, this is how we understand our Bible. If this is your understanding, oh, come join us. If it's not, still come. Still come. But this is who we are. Right? The vast majority of you who have joined us in the last three and a half years have been looking for a reformed form of Christianity because you think that's what the Bible teaches. We simply want to let people know that's who we are. And in a large, small city, which is what this is, there are very few that, that make that claim. We want people to know we're here. 
I mean, there have been people come to visit us who've been going to church for like nine years, other places, and, and didn't know we existed. So, so that's the explanation, all right? So now let's look at the actual content, these 12 basic principles of Reformed or historic particular Baptist or biblical public worship, all right? First, first, public worship is for God. Public worship is for God. That means that we gather here ultimately or fundamentally because we want to bow before the God of the universe. The main word for worship in the Bible is to throw yourself on the ground face first. It's obeisance. Well, that's what we're doing figuratively when we come to worship God. So it's about him. The focus is on him. So reformed or biblical public worship is theocentric. God's in the center. God's in the middle. It's all about him. And it's about the true God. So it's worship for the triune God. It's We don't come here to just worship Jesus as so many places do. We don't. That's not what we're here for. Yes, we are here to worship Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the God-man, our Savior. We are also here to worship God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. And so we are very purposely Trinitarian in, in the opening and close of worship, in the selection of psalms, the way we sometimes, uh, songs, the way we sometimes uh, pick our hymns. We're not here to focus just on one as some kind of aberrant Trinitarianism that's not real. We worship Jesus here if you'll define Jesus rightly. But we also worship his Father and his Spirit. And those are three persons, and that's one God, and that's who we're here to worship. Worship is for God. Worship belongs to him and him alone. There's no other God. There's no other one who deserves our reverent service. So worship is fundamentally about him not us. Worship is filled with him talking and us listening and responding. Worship is about him initiating and us replying in faith. Worship is all about God. Secondly, biblical public worship is in God's special presence. Biblical public worship is in God's special presence. God is present everywhere in a general sense. But he calls his people to worship in words like this from Psalm 100. Come into my presence with singing. Well, God, you're everywhere. I don't need to come into your... No, you, you don't have a spiritual mind about this. Of course God's everywhere. But he's in some places for a different purpose than he's in other places. God is in hell. And his purpose there is to glorify himself by dispensing perfect justice and only perfect justice. 
That's not why he's here today. That's not his purpose in being present with his people today. It's to dispense grace. Mm -hmm. It's to exalt himself. It's to mature and stabilize you. It's to help you get safely to his eternal presence. So places like Matthew 18 and Hebrews 12 and 1 Corinthians 5 and 1 Corinthians 14, 6, God is truly among you. And 2 Corinthians 6 and on and on the list could go. All tell us that when we come together, we are here before the face of God. We worship in his presence. Now, if you really believed that, if I really believed that, we would be awestruck. We would pay attention. We'd work at this. One of the other common words for worship in the Bible is the word service. It's hard work. You're tired at the end. You should be. Because it's work. And God is wor- our God is worthy of that. <laughs> so he is here in the way of covenantal friendship. He's here in the way of grace. He's here in the way of holiness. This is called a sacred assembly for a reason. And so he is our focus. I've used this illustration before. If Jesus Christ were to bodily come down and be among us, you wouldn't be looking at each other. You'd be looking at him. You wouldn't want to be talking to each other. You'd be talking to him. Right? It wouldn't occur to you. (laughs) Oh, yeah, one of my kids has to go to the bathroom, or, or I need to do this or that. That wouldn't be your thinking. You'd be completely overwhelmed with the presence of God. Well, he's here. He's here by his spirit. He's here by his word. And we need to believe that and take it seriously. If you knew that, if you know that, if you remember that, your worship will change. It it will change. It will change you. He is really here. He's here to speak. He's here to hear us. He's here to bless us. And because he's here in this way, you can always come to worship and expect good from God. You can always expect good from God. Now, is it true that sometimes that good will feel painful? Yes, because conviction of sin, which is very healthy for us all, can be painful. And and we could list other examples, but it's always for our good. And it often feels good. It's supposed to feel good. It's supposed to be relieving. A third rule, a third basic principle. Biblical public worship is ruled by the regulative principle. That simply means that God defines God's worship. He tells us how he wants to be worshipped. If you think about it, if you have a right self-perception at all, You understand you're inadequate to know what would please him. Well, that's what the regulative principle is. It says God tells us what he wants done for worship. He tells us what to do and what he will do. And he even tells us a few of, not all of, some of the ways that we ought to do it. Those are usually called elements or parts of worship. Things like preaching or reading or praying or singing or taking an offering. Those are things God defines in his word. We didn't make those things up as as 
holy people. The Holy One told us what he wanted in his worship, and we, we try to find it in the Bible and live that out properly. All right? There are circumstances to these elements. There are, there are certain ways and times that these things need to be done. And he tells us some of those, and we must follow those when he does it. But many of them, he just he leaves up to us. You know, we, we meet at 1030. We, we try to meet at 1030. We meet at 1030. Well, God doesn't dictate. He does tell us which day he wants public worship. That's today, first day of the week. But he doesn't tell us what time. He doesn't tell us how many times. There's lots of circumstances he doesn't tell us. And then there are what has historically been called forms. What's the content of what God wants? Well, one thing we can be sure of, he wants his words spoken to his people, and he wants his words spoken back to him. And so we sing psalms, and we sing hymns and songs that are filled with the truth of the word of God. We try to make our prayers reflect scriptural interests and even Use words, right? And, and in everything we do, we're trying to be heavily informed with the word of God. That's why for some of you who, who, don't, who aren't real Christians and who don't love Jesus Christ and don't love God, this is a really boring time because you don't esteem God's word. It isn't valuable to you. See, to the rest of us here, if we had to pick between bread to sustain our life or the word of God to sustain our souls, we would take the word of God. That's how important it is to us because God has taught us that. We do not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So we come to hear words out of the mouth of God, and that's what we have here. And so we read a bit too much scripture, and we preach a little too long, and we do this and that because we want to hear from God because that's what feeds us. That's what glorifies him. And in glorifying him, we get fed. One of the things that, well, historically in the Christian church, the church has done pretty well, even when they didn't use words like the regulative principle or God defining God's worship or things like that. They did pretty well in sticking to the basic things out of the Bible that God wanted. But corruptions come, and one of the corruptions that happens in our day that we all need to be careful of is when the circumstances overwhelm the elements or parts of worship. And we'll talk more about that, I suspect, in a moment. But we never want the human choices that we legitimately have the right to make from God about these things to overwhelm the thing God has given us. So does God say how long I have to preach? No. At least not that I'm aware of. If you find it in the Bible, let me know. I'll adjust. But if you and I decide that what the right length of time would be, circumstantially, is two minutes, but what we want to do is sing to God for 40 minutes, are we really letting God regulate his worship or are we regulating it? Now, I'm using kind of a, a gross exaggeration, although a lot of American Christian worship isn't far from what I just said, right? We can't let circumstances overwhelm what God wants. Let's move on. 
Biblical worship, fourthly, operates on the dialogical principle. If you love big words, today's your day. What do we mean by that? You know the word dialogue. It means there's a conversation. What's happening in worship, what's always happened in worship between God and his people has been a dialogue, has been a back and forth. God would fall onto the, his, his presence would be visibly shown at the tabernacle. People would come in fear and trembling with a sacrifice and he would show his approval and back and forth it would go, right? Well, that's what happens here. Worship is a holy communication. It's a back and forth between God and his congregation. Those were amazing words in John 4. The Father is seeking those to worship him? What? God wants worshipers? Yes. He wants to meet with you. He wants to have a dialogue with you. He wants to say things to you that you will in faith say things back to him. That's what, that's what God wants in worship. What a privilege. And so there are really, there's not really, I don't know, 60 individuals here. What there really is, there's really just two here. There's the triune God and there's his body. There's, there's his church. And, and those two are having a conversation. So the back and forth in our liturgy or our order of service that you find here, you know, that it, it, for some of you it might seem choppy. Well, what it is, is it's an attempt to try to structure, and there are many different ways of doing this, but here's one way, of back and forth with us and God. We hear from God and we respond to him and he responds to us and we, we say something to him and, and back and forth it goes from beginning to end. There are times when we listen to him at, at length. That, that's what happens in a Bible reading or in a sermon. There are other times that we speak to him at length in a, in a song or in a prayer, but back and forth and back and forth. God is personal. He wants to interact with us. He, he loves us. <laughs> And he wants our love to come to him. So worship shouldn't be passive. If worship for you is passive, you do not understand what's happening here. You, you're thoroughly confused about what's going on here. Biblical worship, reformed worship, particular Baptist worship is very interactive. You are, you are to be engaged at every point by faith. All right. And so, again, if we were to go down here, you could literally say, okay, who's speaking? Is it God or the congregation? And every one of these, it's one or the other. And it's back and forth. So I call us, really in God's name, to worship God. And God speaks to us in an invocation. We invoke his presence. He invokes our presence. It's a call to each other to come together. And then we accept that. We recognize that God is here. And so we adore him in prayer. And we ask for his help because we know how needy we are. And then because he's great and glorious, we praise him in song. And then, you see it? It's back and forth. It's back and forth. It's a dialogue. It's a holy communication, a holy conversation. That's what worship is.
if you don't think of it that way, oh, oh, do, it will be revolutionary. It will really help you be more involved, you know, in your, in your mind with, with God during this time. Fifthly, it's, um, it's congregational. Biblical worship is public worship, is congregational. We come together as one, and we interact with God. Yes, you're here as an individual believer, but honestly, more fundamentally, you're here as part of a spiritual living body. Because of this principle, we're, we're against all kinds of um, exaggerated individualism in a service. We don't have a performance mentality about worship. We're not really, in one sense, all that worried about excellence. Now, we're, we're not saying we want to give God, um, we woke up three minutes before we came, we put on dirty clothes, uh, we didn't prepare our minds, we didn't pray. We didn't, I, I don't mean we're not ready to meet with God and we think it's really important. I'm simply saying if you really think that by having the best singer lead us in singing, that impresses God, you don't understand what impresses God. You don't understand what he's after. What he's after is your heart loving him through your vocal cords. It doesn't matter how bad your vocal cords sound. You must sing. You should sing. He wants you to sing. He wants to hear. And he wants all of us. The rule in the Bible is priests sing. So in the Old Testament, the priests sang. Well, in the New Testament, when everybody's a priest, everybody should sing. So when people say, well, I'd really like so-and-so to do this, they do it so much better. I, what I hear is, you're trying to take away my right as a priest, to sing to my God. I'm not interested. I'm not interested. It's congregational. We'll stop there. Number six. Biblical public worship is for building up believers in the faith. Absolutely, it's for edification. Right? However, that's a secondary and a derivative goal. In other words, what's going on in worship is horizontal, us to God, right? Up and down, God to us. And it's horizontal. It's vertical and it's horizontal. When we sing, we are teaching one another the words of Christ, the doctrines of Christ, the truths. So we have to be able to hear one another. Right? And we have to be and we have to be doing that. We have to be listening. We have to be alert. But what we sing is first and foremost determined by what God is saying to us in this particular week, and we're addressing it to him first, and then we're addressing it to each other, right? So we don't come together and say, well, I know what would edify me today, so we're going to do that. Somebody else says, well, I, I'm pretty sure I know what I need today. We, we should not be unconcerned about those things in each other, including your pastor for you in that regard. But ultimately, in public worship, it's about giving God what is his due. And then, because he's a good and benevolent, wise, all-powerful God, it turns out that when we worship him, 
we're built up and steadied in the faith. It's when we're willing to listen to him speak to us that we get changed instead of when we speak to God. Us speaking to God doesn't, doesn't really change us, right? It's when God speaks to us. It's when we speak to each other. A few weeks ago, I found this quote from a, an older pastor. He said, we are most edified when God is most glorified. And I, I think that's just a, an ideal explanation of this point in public worship. We're not uninterested in, in encouraging one another. We're not uninterested in edification. We're not uninterested in you feeling the love of God. No, we're not. We're simply saying that the right way that comes about is when we give ourselves wholeheartedly to the worship of God. If you forget about yourself, you will have a happier marriage than if you're always worrying about, well, did I get what was fair? Is this going to happen to me? Is that... It's the same with worship. It's true in any love relationship. You forget yourself, love God, and you will be edified. When God's truth about himself and us is rehearsed, saints, saints are sanctified. Uh, number seven, um, biblical worship Public worship is also sacramental. What do I mean by that? There are a lot of bad things I could mean by that. What I mean by that is whenever you and I meet with God, it changes us. Whenever you and I meet with God, it changes us. God's word never falls void on human hearts. It either hardens unbelievers or it softens and trains and blesses believers. So, so come to church. So come to worship. Don't say, well, you know, I don't know if I'm going to get anything out of it or this or that. Or Quit making excuses. Come to worship. Go to church. Because it's sacramental. This is why we value worship for ourselves. We use the means that he has promised, and we are blessed. So, Believe this about coming to worship, and, and God will meet you, and he will grace you. Right? Eight, biblical public worship is to be done in spirit and truth. And I'm going to emphasize a particular thing. This is a huge subject, but God ordained worship to be done, yes, his way, but it's to be done from our hearts, from our spirits, with real affection, with emotions, It's supposed to be done in spirit. In other words, from a new heart. In spirit, with the help of the Holy Spirit. In spirit, you know, with sincerity, with our whole being, including our affections or emotions. And it's not only in spirit, it's in truth. It's according to God's regulations. It's in truth. That is, it, it ought to have a large truth content in its form. In other words, a lot of Bible. Or to sum it up another way that Paul uses, everything should be done decently and orderly and yet with the whole soul. We worship God not just with our minds, but with our spirits. Well, number nine, public biblical worship should reflect our theology. What's primary for Reformed believers? It's the Word of God. Because that's how we know God in Christ. That's how we know salvation. 
So when it comes to our, our liturgy or our, our service uh, pattern, there's, there's a lot of Bible here. Why do we have the order that we have? Because this order says we believe in sovereign grace. We don't believe that we come to God and he accommodates us. We believe God, the great and majestic, comes to men and makes himself magnificent in their sight. And they say, wow, yes, you are great. Oh, wait a minute. I'm, I'm sinful. I shouldn't even be in your presence. And so we confess our sins. And then what does God do? He responds with the promises of the covenant of grace. He tells us, in Jesus Christ, all my promises of the forgiveness of sins, they're yes and amen. And so we sigh a relief, and we sing a song of praise to God. And, and on and on this goes. Right? This is how you got saved. And this is how you worship God. It's the same thing. This is why a Roman Catholic worship service an Eastern Orthodox worship service, a Pentecostal worship service, and on and on the list could go. That's why they aren't the same. Because it inevitably re reflects their understanding of how salvation comes to men. Right? So when people say, you mean there really is a, like a Reformed tradition or understanding from the Bible of worship? Of course there is. Just like there's a Methodist one, and a, a free will Baptist one, and a this and that and the other, it's different. Of course their worship's going to look different. It must. So we're simply trying to be consistent. We're trying to be biblical in this. Another aspect of, of this, um, our worship should show what I call emotional stability. That's part of our theology. We believe we are supposed to love God with our entire being. I mean, strongly, feelingly, emotively, and with the self-control, which is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Those two things are not against one another. And so we don't just break out in craziness. Right? Nor do I want you to sit there and fall asleep. Both of those are really sinful reactions to the presence of God and His truth. I hope you are moved to remember that you're in the presence of God. I hope you are moved emotionally to feel your sins when we confess them. I hope you feel relief when we read the scriptures that tell us that our sins are forgiven. You know, maybe it's not like the most emotional thing of your week, but, but surely if your mind is tracking and you have faith at all, You've got some emotional response to this, right? Well, you're supposed to have. But it's not supposed to be uncontrolled. It's supposed to be orderly. It's supposed to be holy spiritual. Next, number 10. Public biblical worship is to be universal. Or we could have said Catholic, small c, right? Or heavenly, we could have used that word, or historical. They all work. They all make this point. In other words, part of what we try to do here every week, and we, we may or may not succeed very well, but what we try to do every week is not to be too narrow culturally. Yes, we want to be ourselves, 
you know, we're modern Americans and other things, but we want to reflect that we believe we're a part of a church that, that's existed for thousands of years and it's going to exist eternally and that some of our members are in heaven and all of that. Remember, once a week, heaven doesn't have a party because nobody's been worshiping God and suddenly we're going to and so, wow, this is so great. No, remember, heaven is the holy place. Heaven is the worship center, if you will. Hebrews 10, Hebrews 12, other texts. Heaven is the house of God. Heaven is the place where our great high priest Jesus Christ ministers. So when we come to worship in this way, all we're doing is adding our little voices to heavens and to others all across the globe. We're not really very important. I mean, yes, we're important to God, but I mean, we're just a minuscule part of this, this worship. Right? And we don't want to pretend that we're the only ones who get this right. And, I, and we don't believe that. <laughs> and so we sing psalms. You know, they're like 3,000 years old. They don't rhyme right. They talk, about, they talk about bulls of Bashan. We aren't even sure what that is. Right? I mean, we sing older hymns. We sing hymns from the 400s. We sing the Gloria Patri, which is way earlier than even that. We sing new hymns. Things written within 20 years. And we use really ancient responses like amen when we hear God's word. All of those are things that help us not be quite so parochial, not be quite so narrow. Um, and I almost hope some of them make you feel uncomfortable because that's good. It's good to grow. It's good to be stretched. Right? Number 11, biblical public worship is plain or, or simple. Biblical worship should not be austere. I, I hope you like the backdrop. I hope the room is comfortable. I hope the colors are pleasing. But on the other hand, I don't want this room or anything we do for it to be distractingly beautiful either. Your focus should be on God, not wow, the priest robe and that smell and this new thing they're about to do and look at all these colors and we went into a church building in Ecuador, in the capital, that on literally every square inch of the inside of this massive building had something there. There was a sculpture or a writing, or there was literally no blank space anywhere. How you could possibly pay attention if you had even the slightest a bone of curiosity in your body, I, I have no idea how you could do that. So plain or simple, not austere, not distractingly beautiful. We want enough variety with enough consistency so that we focus on God. Right? Finally, uh, number 12, we believe that biblical public worship is led by qualified men. Led by qualified men. Ordinarily, that would be the pastor acting. If there's not a pastor, one of the men chosen by the congregation. Acting in the role that the New Testament calls the man of God. That's a man who's called to speak for God. Do you understand what I'm doing up here every week? Some of you, I'm sure, do. Maybe some of you are a little fuzzy. 
I, I, am, I am never speaking for myself. I am either speaking for God to you, or I'm speaking in reverse. <laughs> I'm always representing someone. About the only time that's not true is, is when we sing together. And then we're all speaking to God at the same time, right? But when I'm reading the word of God, I'm speaking for God to you. When I'm preaching, I'm preaching from God to you. When I quote God's forgiveness out of verses from the Bible, I'm speaking for God. When I give the benediction, I'm not blessing you. God is blessing you through me. Through those words, actually, not even through me, I wouldn't say. When we pray, I'm praying for you to God. And the way you recognize that is, amen. Right? Well, I hope all of this informs your views of worship so that with your understanding, your will, and your affections, you can better glorify God in biblical public worship. And when you do so, you will be more edified. You will grow more. Let's pray.